0: morning, I just want to do this. I'm going to go right into the message. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to wrap up this four part series that uh, Pastor Zach had actually started. And I'm going to talk till death do his part. And uh, I just want to welcome everybody back. And, uh, you know, we've been talking, we've been kind of in a season of relationships. And what happens when you talk about relationships, it begins to it begins to make you think about where you're at. You can begin to do an inventory. I've heard people say, well, we just fell in love. And it makes me go, what? it sounds like you fell in a ditch. And, uh, but I, I know this is that God gives, it, the, the gift of attraction does not come from the devil. It actually comes from God. I remember at this time of the year, this is the time of year that I actually, uh, in about a few weeks, that I actually asked my wife to marry me. And she said, yes, thank you, Jesus. And um, I'm so excited about that. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about some things. And um, this morning, I want to talk to you about 1 Corinthians 13. And a lot of people use that chapter. It's called the love chapter. A lot of people read that for weddings and things like that. And they read it and they go, man, that sounds so good. That's it. But after they get married, they forget everything that was said in, in, in chapter 13. And so what I want to do is they're going to put it on the screen. Uh, Mona's going to put on the screen. And I, and, and I want you to see, I took a portion of Scripture, and it's in verse 7 and 8, and it talks about, and I want you to love what? Always. Come on, y'all going to preach with me this morning. Is that all right? Say love always what? Yeah. Yeah. it What? Always. Okay, always. Always. always, always. And then love? Never fails. Love never fails. And see, when you let, when you let God work in your life, you're able to do more than you think you can do. Amen? Amen. And see, what I see, great relationships are possible. And you, some people go, well, Pastor Bubba, you don't know. My, my relationship with my wife or my husband is just jacked up. You have no idea what's going on in our marriage. No, but I know this. If you let God in your marriage and you allow him to begin to be the Lord of your marriage, all of a sudden what you thought was impossible, God makes possible in your marriage. And so what I want to do, I want to give you some ways that love will last. Tracy and I have been married 34 years in August. I, I actually, you need to clap for her more. She's had to live with me. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a lot harder. She's like, yeah, amen. It's hard to live with an angel. Because in the middle of the night, her halo glows. It's hard to go to sleep. Uh, I mean, we go in the kitchen. Her wings hit me. You know, I mean, it's just hard to be married to an angel. And so, what happens is, uh, you know, uh, and, and let me just say, don't idolize our marriage because you know we have the same struggles, we have the same challenges as you do. We've learned that we've learned some things over the years. And they say that between nine and ten years of marriage is really the, the time where you really begin to you begin to kind of go through some different struggles that you never never went through. And many times that happens because people start having children between five and nine years. And you know how it is when you first have a child. Zach is our pastor. Zach is our first child. So I can remember my wife and I pretty much existed as a single, as single people. We traveled. we went places, we did a lot of things together. We were best friends. We never argued till we had children outnumbered us. And what happened is I can remember when we had Zach. I mean, Tracy could do incredible physical things. Cause she I remember we'd lay in our bed and some mornings on Saturday and he would start, he was a great sleeper, great baby. And sometimes he'd start to get up and she'd literally put her foot out on this cradle and she could had the physical ability to rock that cradle back to make that baby go back to sleep. Now when we had our second son, he was demon possessed. <laughs> we had to cast the devil out of him. It, it, we'd put him to sleep and at 10 o'clock. From 10 to 12, he would cry solid for two hours. And we were like, this is the devil. And, uh, you know, I know how it is. When you're adjusting in marriage, you, you know, it's like you have one. It's like two parents on one. Then you have one on one. Then after they start outnumbering, you got to play zone. And, uh, and so we know, we, I know a little bit about that. But if I was just sitting together, if we were just sitting together and we were at a table And I could just give you some counsel on marriage, what to look for, what to do to have the best possible marriage. I would just I would just I have five things that I've written down. Then I'm going to talk about some of those things you can apply to your life. So let's just imagine we're sitting at a table and I'm just talking to you. Is that all right? And so what happens is I want to make sure that you understand. And the first point that I'm going to give you, I'm going to go back to toward the end of the um, toward the end of the message, because it's probably the least understood out of the five. Down. The first thing I want to tell you, this is, is you got to make a covenant commitment in your marriage. What do you mean, Pastor? Bobby? Everybody values commitment. Come on. And so you only need commitment when you don't want to do something. I mean, you know, some of you go, you know, at the beginning of the year, I mean, Jim memberships went way up at the beginning of the year. I mean, you know, people can begin to, you know, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buffet my body. See, you've been buffeting your body at the local, you know, all you can eat, and you're going, I'm going to buffet it now. And then, you know, we went through the 21 days of fasting and prayer, and we had all that time. That was great. And then, you know, all of a sudden, February hits, and everybody goes, forget that. And so I believe you only need a commitment when you don't. When there's something uh, you don't want, you, you know that you don't want to do something, and you need commit. You don't need to commit if you like what you're doing and who you're, who you're, you know who you're living with. There, there is a, there's going to be days that are going to be very difficult in your marriage. And everybody said, Amen. "Okay, I'm glad. I just want to make sure I'm in the right place." And what happens is. You can't have a great marriage until the option of divorce is thrown out of your mind. I appreciate all those amens. That's a fact. See, may as well. I've learned this in marriage. I've been married 33 years, going on 34 years. Tracy and I have resolved. We're not going anywhere. Okay? And so when we start arguing and we start not having disagreements, you know what we have to do? We just look at each other sometimes like, we're not going anywhere. We may as well make up. And making up's the best part of marriage. I don't know who you are, but anyway, it's good. Amen. And all the married people going, <laughs> Anyway. It is. The second thing that I would tell you is that you got to learn to celebrate differences. What do you mean, Pastor? By God's design, men and women are very different at every level. Have you noticed that? Okay. It, it, and see... Tracy and I are polar opposites. I mean, when it comes to charts, you know, they go, you're like, okay? When, it's, when she's cold, I'm hot. When she wants to go ride a bike, that's what she loves, riding bikes. Can I make a confession to you? I hate riding bikes. In fact, when my, uh, my bike got stolen, I rejoiced in the Lord. That's the truth. Oh, it got stolen. Wow, gummit, You know, and I got a new bike someone donated to me. I was kind of upset about it, but anyway. And I just wanted to dispel the, the compatibility myth. You don't need to be married to you. You need someone to be married to that's different than you. You see, when she runs out of clothes, she's thinking, she goes, above. I'm out of clothes. That means she needs to go shopping. When I run out of clothes, they just need to be washed or ironed, okay? There's, we're, just, we're just completely different and we're opposites. But I've learned, that, you know, I've learned this, is that if if either irritate you or you can appreciate the difference that they have. See, my wife and I, we may be different, but I've learned through 33 years of marriage, she's got a wise word on her. She has great insight that I don't see. And there's other abilities and gifts that I have that I've been able to. She goes, you know, I couldn't be where I'm at today without you being an example in this area. We're relating to people. And so actually, I've learned this is that opposites. If you begin to go, you know, I appreciate her gifts instead of allowing her gifts to irritate you. Come on. on. I'm trying. (laughs) And, and, And what happens is, is that we you've got to learn that, you know what God puts opposites together because the Bible says two become one and how you know that if you just continue to have your own mindset, you can never become one. Amen. The third thing I want to tell you is this, is that you got to work on communication. They say that communication is so important in marriage. You know, God told me at times to put my Bible down and spend time talking to my wife. Because sometimes that's the most spiritual thing I can do. I'm a very disciplined person, you can ask my wife, when it comes to my Bible and my prayer life and things that I do. I read five chapters a day out of the Bible. This is not a religious thing. It's, I'm not condemned. I just it's something that I love doing. Are you hearing me? And, and it's like I love the Word of God. I want, I want the Word of God to, to be you know, part of who I am, begin to make choices who I am. But I, I've, I've learned this, is that sometimes I need to put that thing down, and I'm, not that thing, the word down. I'm not going to skip it, but sometimes, you know, one of the best times that we have is sometimes Saturday mornings when the kids aren't doing anything. We still have, We still have kids in the house. We have six kids, you know. We have them ranging from 31 to 12, almost 13, okay? Five boys with one girl, okay? So, It's a challenge. But yesterday morning, we sat down. It was Saturday, and we were like, man, we don't have to go anywhere. Luke doesn't have any baseball games. Thank you, Jesus. And we just sat down and drank coffee, and we talked. And we just talked. They say the average couple only spends in real communication the average of four minutes of meaningful conversation. That's simply not enough. You know, they say that women speak about 30,000 words a day. Men speak about 15,000 words a day. And if you have a wife that stays at home raising children and they're going, ah, no, ah, no, no. Okay, if you're in that phase, look at me. Or if they just stay at home or they have a job or where they have to just do their, listen, look at me. By the time I come home, I've already spent 15,000 words in my day. And so when I'm coming home, Tracy's got words left for me. And if they're going, no, uh -uh," that's like 29,995 words waiting for you. You see, we do, you know, and there's things we got to do. We've learned we got to coordinate our schedule. We got to talk about finances sometimes. You know, uh, communication is so important. See, marriage can't survive forever. Look at me, on leftovers. I'm gonna. It needs to be fed continually or it will eventually starve. Marriage is like a, it's like a poster child from Bangladesh holding a, a little rice ball. A little malnutritious belly, flies hanging around it and everything. Because your marriage needs to be fed. And all the married people said, "Amen." And see, it has to be. If it's not being fed, see, men. If you want to know the most, the four most romantic words in the world, write this down. I think I don't know if it's going to be up there. Is it, is it up there, Mona? It, it, here, let me let me give them to you. And then what happened? Is the four most. And then just wait, guys. Oh God! Why did you say that, but women? I'm trying to help you out up here. Thank you. You're welcome. You see. Come on, lay, You got to. You know, I'm just trying to help. But see, the fourth thing is this. Listen to me. Here's the fourth. You got to feed the romance. A fireplace don't make a fire by itself. What's wrong with the fireplace? There ain't no wood in it. Listen to me. My responsibility and your responsibility is to put wood in the fireplace, put a little fuel on it, and strike the match. And. <laughs> I'm talking to everybody here. (laughs) See, you got to feed the romance. All romance burns out. That's the way it's made. It's not the fireplace's fault. If you don't have a fire, it's because you're not stirring the coals in the fireplace. And ladies, the last time you said turn off the lights and lock the door is when his parents drove up in the driveway. (laughs) That's funny. I've been waiting all week to say that. Tracy and I are very intentional in this area. You don't base it off of how you feel. I just don't feel like it. Guess what? Sometimes I don't feel like waking up in the morning. Sometimes I don't feel, can I be honest, sometimes I don't feel like brushing my teeth. But I do, because my wife tells me, my daughter tells me, Daddy, your breath stinks. There's just some days... I don't, but see, you can't base it on your, you can't base your relationship on your feelings if you don't get ready for, if you don't get ready and you, you live by your feelings, it's like a train wreck coming and there's gonna be failure in your marriage. And some people, people pay big bucks. I remember a guy came to me one time, he said, Pastor Bubba, he goes, man, my marriage is jacked up. Can you help me? And churches, I mean, service is fixing to start. And I said, "Well, look, buddy, I can't fix what you've done in a lifetime in 3 minutes." But let me give you an example. Marriage is like a bank account. The more you deposit, the more you can withdraw. The problem is is you're probably overdrawn and you hadn't made enough deposits. That's preaching. And see, a lot of people are living on their lives and go, why, why are we where are we at? Why, what's going on? And see, the thing that I would tell you and the final thing I would sit down and tell you is you got to put Jesus at the center of it all. Well, you're a preacher. I, you had to say that. No, I'm saying it. Because this is true in every part of our life. If you're going to leave to, to lead God out of the process that he created, it's bound to fail. It's like if you get a car and you look at the owner's manual and you know what it's going to tell you? It's going to tell you you got to put gas in the gas tank. But if you decide, you know, today I don't feel like putting gas in the gas tank. I'm going to put water in the tank. Because you want to do it your way and it's not going to run the way the creator of that or designer designed that vehicle to run. And see, in Psalms 127 verse 1 it says, Unless the Lord build the house... It, it's builders' labor in vain. It's going it's to crash and it's going to burn. In order for relationships to work, you got to let the one who designed it define it. You see, God defines relationships in a single word. And it was actually the first point. And it's, the most, it's probably the most misunderstood word that I'm, I'm going to talk about. I want to bring some definite. It's called covenant. You see, it's not a casual or convenient commitment, but it's a, com- it's a covenant commitment to God, to God. When I married Tracy McCann, no, Tracy Lynn Cassidy, on August 4th, 1984, on 10th and K at Community Christian Church in Tacoma, Washington at 1 o'clock, I remember it all. I'd been waiting. I didn't want the trumpet to sound and not go to heaven happy. Anyway, y'all get that later. I thought, Lord, uh, you know, Peter's going to come out. No, no. Give it a day. Anyway. But I remember standing there and looking and making that covenant commitment till death do us part. I wasn't making a promise to her. I was making a promise to God. It was a covenant. God, you and me, you and me, that I'll be faithful. And you know what? She's kept her vows because I've been, you know, I've battled cancer. I've been through things. She's been there for me. She's brought encouragement to me. She's helped me. She's loved me. She's made sure I've taken medicine when I didn't want to take medicine. She's called the doctor when I wasn't going to call the doctor, and I told her I wasn't going. She goes, you're going. You see... I believe this, if you look in Malachi, it's actually the last book in the Old Testament, and it's like you flip a page over, you go to Matthew and it begins to give the genealogy of Jesus in the first chapter of Matthew. If you look at this, God's God speaking to us and how we see marriage? How many know that when you begin to try to do things on your own outside of God's design, it doesn't always work? You're quiet. I get concerned. Okay, and see, let's look at that. It says, you flood the Lord's altar, verse uh, 13, you flood the altar with your tears. In other words, you can be at church and cry your eyeballs out. You weep and well, because he no longer looks with favor on your offering, accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and your wife of your youth. In other words, you've been doing it your way rather than God's way. How many of you ever tried that? How many of your kids, you tell them what you want them to do and they decide they don't want to do it your way, they want to do it their way? And how many of you have had to make an attitude adjustment? Come on. Or that you apply the the Board of Higher Education to the seat of higher learning? (laughs) Then they get a revelation. Okay, okay. And see, what happens is, is that, but I believe this, even in the midst of when we're trying to do our own thing, I believe God sits on the front porch and watches, not to get us. See, that's the attitude. Like, oh, God, got, he's gonna he's going to knock me out. No, God is very patient. God is very loving, and God's very kind. He's loving enough to allow you to do your own thing to when you realize I've done everything I could to do my own thing, and that ain't going to work, and I need help. And I need God. And see what happens right here. Let me just go on. Are y'all with me? Had been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, because you defined her in your own terms. The wife of your marriage. There's that word. Marriage what? Covenant. Covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The, Lord, the man who hates and divorces his wife says to the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. In other words, you do your own thing instead of protecting the very person and protecting that marriage vow, that very covenant. You do your own thing. And if you go through the Bible, all throughout the Bible, God has a covenant with his people. And it's always the people going back on their commitment. God made a covenant with the children of Israel. And they made a covenant with him. And you, if you begin to go through the Old Testament, all of a sudden you begin to see it's like, wow. And then people go, well, that was the Old Testament. Oh I, This way I look at it. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It just reveals. You know, we can have the same attitude, but now we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, and direct us, and correct us. And so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So Jesus is saying this kind of relationship he wants to have with you. And in this, what I'm going to read this portion of Luke chapter 22 it was the Thursday night before the Friday night of Good Friday. And what happened is Jesus is speaking at the last supper and he said in the same way after the supper he took the cup. And he's saying this cup is the new what covenant in my blood, which will be poured out. For you. One in other words is this is the best relationships possible are blood relationships. What do you mean? Have you ever noticed it's easier to be faithful to someone who's blood related to you? You ever heard that saying? Blood is thicker than water? Yeah. We'll go to the ends of the earth for our kids, because they're blood related. Now see, Tracy and I aren't blood related and that's why, mar- that's why a lot of people feel like hey, it's just marriage is disposable. We're not even blood related. Now the kids and me, we're blood related. We know about you. Yeah. There's just something about that kind of relation. That's why you know what? We'll go to the ends of the earth for our kids. How many I'm talking about? But some people won't go to the end of the earth for their spouse. And see, you know, that's why our mate can be disposable. Our kids are blood related but not See, I have, I've, met a, I've, I've never met a parent who would not go to the ends of the earth for the kids. I believe this. And, you know, in our culture, we have, you have some places. And I remember growing up, I used to watch Bonanza, Maverick, you know, um, Gunsmoke, you know, all those things. And I used to like cowboy and Indian movies. And I remember as a little kid, my grandmother made, I had two uniforms. I had an army suit. My mama could only take it off of me when I went to bed. And that, she had to wash it. And I had a cowboy suit my grandmother made. me. It was a sweet cowboy suit. But I remember, me and my friends would go out in the woods and we'd go, we, you know, we go, you watch Cowboy Niamh, we, we're going we're gonna to be blood brothers. Yeah, so what you would do, you get a knife <laughs> and you cut your hand. And then you'd put your hands together and you'd wrap it with a cloth. Mihancho, you pancho, we blood brothers. You go back home, your mom goes, ah, what did you do again? Get the McCarrico, monkey blood. No, Mom, another monkey blood. How many of you know that don't make you a blood brother? That just means your mom's gonna tap you on the back of the head. And see. I've learned this, is that I have six kids, and I had one of my kids get in some trouble one time, and I got a call that I needed to go down to the station. And it was not a good thing. And sometimes when you get a call like that, a couple of things you want to do. First thing, you go, I'm going to kill them. Anybody been there? Okay. Second thing is, like, what is going on? How could this and on the way there I just thought Lord what I i realized the first reaction would be my my most important reaction are you hearing me and so when I got there I said you know what I need to put the biggest Pastor Bubba smile I can put on and I got to the station I knew the the policeman and all that he gives me a few words, and I'm going to bring your child in here. I can't say everything. Maybe in about three years, I'll give you the whole story because it's still being played out in a good way. And I looked at my child, and I looked at them, and I said, you need me more than you've ever needed me before in your entire life. And then I looked at them, and I said, but I also love you more than I ever loved you before. That was hard. And see, I believe for many of us, God will be faithful to you no matter what you've ever done. You need need God on your worst day in your relationships. You see, you need someone that's going to be there on your worst day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And see, there's three differences I want to show you in God's terms and people's terms are covenants and contracts. The first thing is a covenant is based on mutual commitment. Covenant means I'm willing to be unhappy while I'm working at it. Come on. Contract is based on the mutual distrust A contract is about someone protecting themselves, like your bank. When you go in and sign that contract to buy a house, they're trying to, they're not, they're going, man, we're so glad you got the loan. Man, I really they'll give you candy, they'll give you stuff, a pot, a, a toaster. I don't know what they give you. You know, we helped you in that mortgage fee, you know, and you're all excited about it. But guess what? In that contract, When you sign it, there's a line in there that says, If you mess up and you don't pay, we're coming for you and your house and the toaster. (laughs) But see, that's why even in marriages now, like I do premarital counseling, and it's funny sometimes, and like people come and they go, Oh, Pastor Bubba, I have met, she's perfect. Really? No, we don't argue. She always smells good. She looks good. I mean, she is like perfect in all her ways. I go, "Mm mm-hmm, give that two weeks in marriage. (laughs) And you ask them, and you have to do this nowadays. Is there any way that you feel like there's an out for your marriage? You have to ask that nowadays. Because the only way out of marriage is the grave. Mm-hmm. Are you hearing me? Yes. you say, so Bubba, but that's what I'm talking about. I can't divorce her, but I can kill her. <laughs> I'm not giving you permission to do that. But here's the thing. It's a covenant. A covenant, here's another thing. A covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. In other words, when I marry my wife, and she married me, we're here to serve one another. That's what Jesus does. Jesus, and it's a relationship Jesus has for us. You see, I don't go into it for her to serve me. I go into it to serve her. Just like we serve this church. We go, when you go into ministry, it's not about you. It's about serving. The Bible says the greatest in the kingdom of those that serve. And thank y'all. Look at me. You know what? We can't do what we do here and have this service if the people that don't go and serve for the children do what they do. Are you hearing me? Oh, yeah. They're the most important people. They allow us to do what we do in here. And so, you know what? When you go pick up your children, we don't give them red Kool-Aid. We don't hop them up. With, you know, you can't go home. mom. We teach them the word of God. Listen, when you look at those people that are giving their time, can you do one thing for me? Can you tell them thank you this morning? Thank you for what you do. Thank you. Because I believe this. You see, contract protects the rights, and it shucks responsibility. That's what it does. It It protects them, and they have no responsibility in it. A covenant has the highest interest of the other in mind contract has personal convenience in mind. You do. I'm going to do what's best for me. Are y'all with me? Oh, yeah. See, the greatest relationship in the world is when two servants are in love. The worst kind of relationship is, is in the world is when you have two masters. Wow. That's the most destructive. Two masters in love. See, you may say, well, this... This is not doable, Pastor Bob. That's what I'm talking about. Man, he's telling me what to do. I'm telling him what to do. We're just frustrated. You're right. You can't do it on your own without God. Here's two final thoughts, and I'm going to wrap it up, okay? Is that all right? I'm going to put a bow on it, and I'm going to be done. Okay? Two final thoughts that fuel the principles of covenant. Listen, if you have gone through a failed marriage, I'm not trying to get on you. You know what? That's your past. God has done a work in you, and you know, you, I'm not going to the past. God's forgiven you. You got to go on. Are you hearing me? Amen. It's not time to stay. I've learned this. If I could put a, a sign on my desk, I'm living for today. Are you hearing me? What do you mean, Pastor Baba? I can't go back and fix whatever. I can ask for forgiveness for what I've done in the past. Are you hearing me? I can walk in godly sorrow. I can walk in repentance. That means that I'm not going back to what I used to be like or do what I used to do. I'm not going to treat people the way I used to do it. In my marriage, I'm not going to talk to them the way I used to. I want to be serving. I want to be honorable. I want to have compassion. I want to be able to have a listening ear. You see? I believe this. Love, listen to me, write it down. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Amen. If I followed all my feelings, look at me. I wouldn't be your pastor this morning. I just wouldn't. Why, Pastor Bubba? how could you say that? Because I, I go through things just like you. Okay, let me ask you something. Let, let me, look at me, and I'm going to do the church vote this morning. I won't vote on you, and you won't vote on me. We're just going to have a vote, all right? Okay. How many of you this week had some feelings that you just lived out? Thank you for four honest people. The rest of we're praying for you. Okay, first I got to do a test. How many of you have ever lied? How many of you have never lied? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. Okay, so let me do the test. How many of you this week, you had some emotions, and you just lived out your emotions? Come on. You said things, told people, you know, you drove up here and you were fighting with each other and you saw me walk. Oh, there's, you know, shut up. I'm going to slap you kids. Be quiet. You buy me. How long you saw me go? Oh, There's Pastor Bubba. Your emotions and feelings got healed. Someone cut you off from the interstate and you gave him the peace symbol. I understand. Don't raise your hand. Okay, here's the thing. People who use their feelings as a barometer for the health of their marriage are destined for a breakup. Love doesn't give the person what they deserve. It gives them what they need. Colossians says it like this. I love this portion of scripture. It says, and over all these virtues, what does it say? Put on what? Which binds them all together in perfect unity. In other words, look at me. I'm so glad you put on your clothes this morning. Because you know what clothes do? It covers our nakedness. It covers our warts. It covers our blemishes. Come on. Are you going, me too? I'm glad. It says, put on love. Like I put on this shirt. I need to put on love. Choices lead and feelings follow. Two weeks ago, I was in Jennings. I was preaching, and I actually preached this message. And a young guy that was in jail had just gotten out about told me three days before. And he came up to me and said, Pastor Bubba, Man, my girlfriend, we want to get married. We want to do it right. How do we get married in this church? I said, well, we take you through four classes of premarital counseling, and then man, we'll put the yabba dabba-doo on it. And he goes, wow. Thank you so much. I came this morning and I just felt I felt love. I felt important, and I looked at him, and I said, listen, if you do it God's way, you're the reason that we have church. It's for people just like you, and every Sunday, you're welcome to sit on the front row, because Jesus died. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for what? Those who were sick. Those who were unhealthy. How many of you say, you know what? I was living an unhealthy way. And see, the sad thing, you can be in church, and there's a few things that church wants to talk about nowadays. It doesn't want to talk about marriage sometimes because you've got to deal with some social issues. If you, li- if you continue to live by what society and culture says, look at me, you're going to end up shipwrecked. Are you hearing me? But if you have the Word of God that is your guide, listen to me. It's the Word of God. I don't care what culture says. Because culture said the same, they've wrapped it up in a bow generation after generation. And try to force feed us to believe things. But sometimes we need a backbone like a crowbar to be able to say, God, I stand on your principles. I'm going to love you. I'm going to honor you. No matter what culture says or where they go, I'm going to love you. And I want my marriage to work. I believe this is that the capacity love comes from the fact of receiving love I needed love myself I remember the day that I met Jesus May 15th 1980 about 3 o'clock I gave my life to Jesus got filled with the Holy Spirit I was out the next day on McKinley Street telling my friends about Jesus. I didn't know scripture. I I knew that I met love. And I believe this. God's love is the greatest force in the universe. And when you meet him, you're never, ever the same because it's not about religion. It's about a person. Think about how much he loves you. I've been thinking about that. Easter's coming in about four weeks, five weeks been thinking about jesus on the cross easter coming i think about how he proved his love for us we know that they hit him they blindfolded him and said prophesy now who who hit you they plucked his beard they put a crown of thorns and they shoved it on his head they whipped him with a cat of nine tails that literally ripped his flesh You had organs that were exposed. You had bones that were exposed. Muscle was torn. They spit in his face. They nailed his hands, his feet. I did that. You did that. But I love the part when Jesus is about to go be with his father. And he says this one simple line, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I come this morning to let you know, Jesus loves you. He's for your marriage. It's a marriage for our lifetime. We believe that around here. And I know circumstances can come because people make decisions and choices, and we know the pressures that's out in culture and life. But I've learned this, that nothing is impossible with God. How many of you believe that? Nothing.